Welcome to We Are Chafee Looking Upstream, a conversational podcast of humanness, community, and well-being rooted in Chafee County, Colorado. I'm Adam Williams. Today I'm talking with Zach Baird. Zach is a keyboardist and composer. He's known across musical genres for his electronic talents, including his use of synthesizers and computers. He has toured far and wide, and I mean worldwide, playing with various artists and bands for more than 30 years. I talked with Zach while he was in a transition of sorts having come off the better part of a year of working and touring with Beyonce's Renaissance Tour in Europe and North America. He was reintegrating into home and family life. 2023 was Zach's return to touring, and obviously in a big way. When the pandemic came in 2020, touring stopped, work stopped, at least as a musician, and Zach moved from Los Angeles to our rural slice of the Arkansas Valley here in Colorado. He even was on unemployment at one point during that time, at least until he answered a local restaurant's job ad that creatively asked, are you a rock star? <laughs> we talk about that experience and many others. Zach is a humble and approachable person, as you'll hear throughout this incredible conversation that covers so much of his story as someone that I will call a gifted and passionate musician. He has taken an unconventional road, it seems from very early on. For example, when classical music was the typical piano player's path into the performing arts high school that Zach attended in Dallas, he auditioned by playing two non-classical pieces, one of which he had composed as a middle schooler. By the way, some notable musical artists have come out of that high school. You'll recognize their names when you hear them. Now, I would also look at Zach as one of those noteworthy successes from that school, but I really don't know whether he would agree or necessarily even care. Like I said, he's humble. And like he says in this conversation, I'm not a rock star. I just hang out with rock stars. Okay, so if we go along with Zach's angle on it, He's rock star adjacent, shall we say. And throughout the organic flow of the conversation, some of those names come up. Some of who he's worked with, some of who he wanted to work with. It turns out that he had a keyboard nemesis who had a penchant for scooping up gigs that Zach wanted. Not that Zach didn't get his share, of course. We talk about how he became the keyboardist for the metal band Korn, despite not really being into them or their music at first. And despite the fact that the nemesis was there too. That was a gig that would last 10 plus years. Now, if you're like me, you can't help but think of sex, drugs, and rock and roll by this point, right? Well, I'm also curious to know, who the hell does the laundry when you're part of a roving musical community that's changing cities every two or three days on tour? You're so far, far from home, from those mundane bits of normalcy. So I asked, and Zach answered. We also talk about the dramatically different roles of being a touring musician and being a dad with two young kids at home. Zach started this musician's life as a teenager. He's now in his early 50s and as passionate about music as ever. Naturally, a lot has changed and happened during the years between. So yeah, we get into that too. The Looking Upstream podcast is supported by Chafee County Public Health and the Chafee Housing Authority. Media partners are KHEN 106.9 FM Community Radio in Salida, Colorado, which airs this show at 1 p.m. on Tuesdays, and the Chafee County Times and the Mountain Mail, two newspapers where I publish a monthly column related to the overall We Are Chafee Community Storytelling Initiative and this Looking Upstream podcast. Show notes, including links and a full transcript of the conversation, are available at wearechafee.org. 
You can support the podcast by following We Are Chafee Pod on Instagram and the We Are Chafee account on Instagram and Facebook. And enthusiastic ratings and reviews on Apple and Spotify are greatly appreciated, and they're helpful too. All right, now here we go. A fun and enlightening conversation with Zach Baird. Well, Zach, thanks for coming in, man. I, I've been looking forward to this. Welcome to Looking Upstream. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. It's taken a while, but uh, thanks for being patient. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to. Look, it's taken a while because you were out on tour for a pretty long time. I mean, yeah. a, a huge chunk of this year. And I know that you have kids at home, young kids. You've been trying to settle in in recent weeks. How's that been going? Uh, you know, it's a change of pace. Um, and it's it's... Sometimes good. I've been taking some time just to like reacquaint myself with Buena Vista, get some air, uh, spend time with my kids, be dad. Um, I was I was gone a long time. It was like nine, almost ten months. So yeah, I missed a lot. How um, old are they? Um, Yumi is in fourth grade. She is nine. Leo is like in a preschool. He's about to turn four this month. Did it register? at those ages for them or maybe differently for each of them, how long you were gone and how that affected kind of the flow in the house? Yeah, it was a definite change, especially um, for Leo. You know, I was, most of my life I spent touring. COVID brought on a lot of changes, a move. My daughter had experienced some touring. I don't think she really remembered it so much. Um, Leo had not. He'd never been away from me. Uh, you know, he's born right before COVID. He's just in that age where it's like, I've I've literally been home. You know, the last, I guess it was two and a half, almost three years. You know, it was 2020. Everything kind of stopped, and you know, I didn't do a tour until this year, 23. So um, it was pretty much right at three years. And um, and then you're gone for a really long time. This particular like it's not tour, a weekend. Yeah. No, this particular tour, I was gone longer than is typical. Both of my kids struggled a bit with adjusting to that. Yeah, so it was it was hard. It wasn't like, uh, you know, thankfully I have family that really kicked in and helped me in particular. You know, I mean, I'm a single dad recently uh, divorced, um, and my kids go to two different houses. So there's that kind of struggle already going on. Um, and then for the first time I took a tour and was away from Buena Vista with, uh, travel and, you know, my contact was really FaceTime using FaceTime and communicating with my kids. My three-year-old kept kind of telling me, come home, Papa, come home. Um, my daughter cried the day I left, you know, she took me and dropped me off and she was upset about it. She felt something, you know, Previously, it was kind of, especially for me, this is what I did. COVID put a pause on all of that. I'm guessing that they aren't registering any cool factor to what it is you're doing either, <laughs> right? Which, which, by the way, I want to let people know. I mean, the tour that you were on was with Beyonce. Yeah. You were out there on her Renaissance tour in Europe, North America. And this is your history. This is your career, I mean, resume as a touring musician for the last, I mean, couple of decades are, are with these big name artists. You're going around the world. So they're a little young though. And maybe I hear from people 
often in telling their stories, it doesn't matter if their kids are 15, 20, whatever it is. They're like, you're just dad. It's not that you're cool yeah, to me. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think um, my, my daughter is aware. She, she kind of is at a stage in life where now it's sort of interesting and she's aware of these people. She'll ask me questions specifically, but that's almost more like, um, I think she's, she likes the idea of the celebrity aspect to it. My son has no clue. Um, you know, he's not really aware of anything that the, these people mean nothing to him. But as I said, I mean, I've been doing this a long time and my daughter doesn't remember the other part of her life where, you know, we were already doing it and she was going to shows and concerts and doing things that, you know, most, I would say children her age didn't have exposure to, you know, kind of growing up backstage. Who is she seeing backstage at that time in her life? Uh, well, you know, when she was born, I was playing keyboards for the band Corn, And um, so a lot of her backstage, like being in a diaper and hanging out and that's and walking around with me, you know, there's like, you know, there's, we're doing festivals and shows and there's a lot of other celebrities and, and I guess, well, I don't know celebrities, but let's just say the, loosely the word rock star or musicians rather around. So, you know, she run into people and, you know, people would be like, you know, I mean, you know, she has no recollection of that. I remember it, but to her, and even when you're a kid that, I mean, that's just like where you are that day, you know. Are there photos of her with people that later she'll look at and be like, oh, I can't believe I met these people, but I don't remember it. I don't really think so. I think it's mostly memories that I have, okay. you know, I mean, you know, going to see Jane's Addiction, you know, in a... um what do they call that? Uh, uh, a onesie? No, like a. Thing, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm wearing her basically. Like, oh, okay. You know, yeah, at yeah. the at the Jane's Addiction show backstage. <laughs> uh, you know, and you know, for me, um, you know, we li it's a it's just a different thing. You know, we lived in L.A. We lived in Los Angeles. You know, we came here uh, kind of to join other people in our family. But growing up in Los Angeles for her, and even at that period in time for me, I spend a lot of time kind of in circles, music circles. Um, I've been curious why you moved from Los Angeles to here, but maybe also more importantly is how that transition has been for you. And it, it's, I mean, that's night and day. It's so different to come to this tiny place of, if we look at the whole county population, we're talking only 20,000. I mean, from many, many millions across an area that's just so massive and so different culturally. Well, I mean, the prime reason we came um, is because we already had my my mom and dad retired here um, years ago, and my daughter was actually born in Salida. You know, due to the fact that I was touring at that period in my life, I was newly married. I was touring. I was very busy um, with my schedule. This seemed like a great place for her to. Well, for one, it seemed like a great place for my wife at the time to live and have family support. And it also seemed like we would get more attention at the hospital here than like in a big, big city like Los Angeles. So, you know, there were a lot of reasons back then to just be here. It felt like a great community, a good place. Everything that happened from basically like 2020 forward, a lot of that was, you know, the pandemic. Um, I went through massive... Uh, life change going through a separation and a divorce um somewhat at that point is like a career change because you know my last 
you know, my, all the touring ended, all the, all the live music stopped with the pandemic. So it was kind of like, wow, what are we doing? Los Angeles did not seem like a great safe place to be, you know, big city COVID pandemic. Uh, everybody was sort of escaping to the Hills, you know, if you will, smaller towns. Um, we already had family here. So it was like kind of a, a little bit of a no brainer. Some of it was unintentional. I think I decided to stay kind of as an afterthought. It wasn't like a real planned thing. Everything, everything <laughs> did happen like somewhat overnight. How about the transition to such a quiet place, such a place that is, I mean, 82% of our county, I think, is public land. So different than where you were in that size of city. Yeah, it's still pretty different. You know, sometimes you miss, at least me, I don't know. Some people, sometimes I miss the city. Um, but I think before I was married, I fell in love with this area as you know, I took advantage of the fact that my parents were here and I could kind of be a snowboard bum, um, you know, for better or worse. But, you know, my tour schedule typically runs from spring until mid, well, early winter. Like it could be, it could, it could wrap up like around November or it could wrap up in middle of December. And, you know, we might not start another run of shows or do any projects until April. Everybody wants to be home, even in the music world. You know, everybody wants to be with family. This is that time. This is that season. Um, we come home or spend our time, you know, around uh, with our kids, with our families, and kind of take some time off. In April, things warm up. The venues that are outside become available. People want to get out and, and do shows again. Um, so I found myself, like, with this, like, window, perfect for ski and snowboard season and that is amazing yeah like that that's it just worked out it's kind of like a (laughs) a a dream schedule of sorts you know school teachers have off summer okay that's great but if you love to snowboard yeah man that's ideal and and that's initially probably what it was for me my parents moved here from texas and you know and i wasn't as inclined to visit them when they were (laughs) living in dallas and so when they came here you know it was like oh man i got a place to stay and I can just snowboard. So that was the initial in, in, uh, let's see my, my introduction to Buena Vista and things like that. And, and I also like running and I like trails and, um, you know, those are the things that I do snowboard and, you know, sometimes run, sometimes I'm way running. Sometimes I'm winter has been a bit of a problem for running for me. But, you know, because I'm kind of used to that L.A. climate and, you know, when you're touring and there's great places to run, it's usually warmer Mediterranean type situations. And, you know, it's always easier. I'm struggling to get my running uh, up during winter. But, you know, and and moving to BV at that time, I mean, it wasn't an easy time in my life. You know, when I reflect on it, some of the beauty was, um, you know, when you are a when you're trying to provide for your family or live a life of a musician, I found that I was always kind of like feeling a hustle, you know, feeling like, okay, well that tour ended. What am I going to do next? So things could be good for a while. Um, and then you'd be like, okay, looking for the, looking for the next job, looking for the next thing. Um, especially with a family, you know, not as, not as much when you're just sort of enjoying the life of being a musician and no attachments, you know, but once you begin that second level of life, I guess, where you start a family and you're needing to provide, um, you know, you're hustling. 
you've been doing this for more than 30 years. I think you've said that you've been touring since you were 19. And I'm curious about the changes through life, sort of those stages. Now, obviously you have kids at home and, you know, what does it feel like to be on tour for so long? Like, let's use the most recent one as an example where I don't even know, is it every two or three nights maybe, or even every night that you're in a different city for a while and you're away from your kids and how that might be different than the experience of, okay, I'm 20, I'm 25, I'm 30, and I'm ready to, to go out and hit nightclubs or, or do whatever you were doing that was your unattached enjoyment in life. Well, first and foremost, I love doing music. So my desire to be a entertainer was I think what I called it when I was probably my son's age or my daughter's age. It was like my passion for music began really early, two or three. Um, I have recollections of playing my grandmother's piano and thinking at the time that I was composing. Um, later at seven, I started taking piano lessons. That was even you know an interesting thing because my recollection is my mother asked me one time in the car if I wanted to take piano lessons. And I don't even know if it had dawned on me that that was like something you could do. I, I, I think I feel like I was kind of stunned by the question like, oh, wow, you could take piano lessons? Yeah, sure. That sounds fun. You know, that was really it. But um, all through the years, no matter what tour, no matter if I was in a van, sleeping on a couch or traveling on an airplane, sleeping in a hotel, my passion for music has always uh, been strong. That's, that's, that runs through the entire phase, everything. Um, it's kind of even still a struggle today. My, my passion for music is so strong. It's almost like sometimes it's a conflict with being dad because, you know, I want to have endless time to create and work on music and I do need to be present and pick up the kids from school and, you know, uh, all of that. So it's still really good, but you know, tours change styles of music, touring um, systems are kind of different from each, you know, the recent tour I had, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of comfortable, you know, in the sense that like we're in it, it's not like I'm in a different city every night, you know, I, I mean, I'm kind of in a different city every two or three days. Um, and for me, the show day is usually when I am needed and working. The other days are spent running, exploring, looking for like, you know, um, like for me, I'm, I'm vegan. So I'm always like, kind of like looking for a cool vegan restaurant to check out in a, in a town or what's, what's here. Um, I explore by running and sometimes I'm practicing, uh, in my hotel room, things like that. I think what made it hardest was what was it, What was interesting about this particular tour is it felt like it took a really long time to get it over with because, um, <laughs> There was so much like, I mean, it was a big production, so it took a long time. It took like, you know, on average, we probably did two shows a week and that would be in a different city, but you know, there's a little bit of travel there, but there's just a lot of time, um, waiting for the show day for me because of my role in that other people have different roles and they're kind of busy. Like they're tired because they're working every single one of those days doing, um, you know, steel building, uh, putting the sound up, um, fixing dressing rooms and all of this. Um, but I only worked the show day. So, you know, it felt like, gosh, it really took a long time to finish 
this tour and 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 initially we were in rehearsals from you know early january until like the end of april early may pretty much you know three i guess that's three months three four months um figuring out what we're going to be doing for the show before we even started a show so to a certain extent that felt like the tour when we started doing the tour i was like man we've already been doing this a long time preseason is pretty long yeah and so with this one that made it feel like it was really stretched out sometimes like in some previous tours or situations you know i might have more time off maybe we would go out for four to six weeks and then be home for another month and then go out for a few weeks come back home kind of more broken up so this was a bit of a a real extended tour it it was great but certainly as far as people being home and how do you run a family i mean and and i'm one of like i don't know 150 people all everybody somewhat dealing with a situation possibly at home everyone unaware of each other's lives outside of the tour so you know i think and we all have different ways of dealing with that i am 52 and like you said i mean do i go to the bar do i go to the club no not really. Did you ever? <laughs> was that a thing that you yeah, used to when you were, you know, young and <laughs> Yeah, of course. I mean, I think, you know, there was an era in my life where I was certainly um really having a a, a fun time on tour and doing all the things that probably, you know, somewhat you know, life is when you're young and single, I mean, yeah, life can be indulgent and you know, you might be at the bar, there's after parties, there's reasons to have fun. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of friends that, um, I, I, I think majority of my, f- my f- friends or musician acquaintances, whatever it would be prior to being 40, everyone's sort of really having a good time right? <laughs> in, in a, in a way that's probably not healthy for any of us. Um, but I think that's life and somewhere in there, um, people recognize that, you know, some people do have issues with certain things or need to step away from that lifestyle. Um, they still want to be musically inclined. So they kind of grow up and, you know, it's no longer part of the scene per se. You know, I mean, we've all, I mean, I certainly have done that in, in, in my own life. Uh, it sounds like you were older than 40, you know, early forties around the time you got married and you had kids and you kind of transitioned yeah. into a piece of life that, kind of demands that of you well it certainly does demand that of you i don't think that um it's easy to maintain um i mean naturally some things die off right you just grow up and grow out and you recognize responsibilities uh yeah it was late in life for me having kids not everybody that i've ever worked with had that you know some of their career was um started at the same time that they were starting families and things like that which you know i don't think I don't think it's impossible, but it's certainly harder to pursue art when you have a family. You know, it's, it just takes a lot more work. I think I'm curious too about the mundane stuff. The mundane stuff? Yeah, like, because <laughs> I'm thinking if you're out on the road, it's oh. not that you're just, it's not like you're in the military and you are off in an assignment that's going to take you away for a year and then you come back home. You're actually traveling all this time and doing all these different phases of this experience how are you doing laundry, for example? How are you eating 
in well, the ways that you need to. Because for me, if I go on vacation for a week or two or whatever, I'm sick of restaurants. I'm wanting to get home and have some sort of normal routine, like any of those sorts of things. Well, in my experience, it's like two, living two different lives. I mean, obviously, when I'm home, I'm trying to be really present, dad. Um, I'm trying to be involved in my kids' lives. When I'm on the tour, I have the luxury of, I would say, sleeping till 9 a.m. at least in a hotel room that's quiet. I don't have, I'm not waking up doing kids' uh, activities. I mean, I'm not involved. That's a catch 22 for some people. For me, yes, I'm still getting the phone call from home. Someone's sad. Someone's missing me. Someone's upset. This is what's happening. What are we going to do? But I am kind of in a different place dealing with a totally different set of things. Um, how do I do laundry? I mean, if I was in a van tour, you know, I'd be doing my own laundry when I'm on a luxurious tour. There's usually, there's a person actually hired in that position who can do our, all of our laundry, but you know, I still like doing my own laundry. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things I do on my days off is go and find the laundromat and do my laundry. But like I said, I mean, I, I run, you know, I, that's the thing too. When I'm, when I'm home being dad, um, it's harder for me to carve out that time where I'm going to run, uh, you know, um, do you have favorite cities, like oh, favorite absolutely, locations? Absolutely. That- and I always kind of explored new things, um, or I have memories of, of areas, but and I mean running specifically, actually, in that question. Like, are there oh, favorite gosh. favorite places yeah, well, that you have run? Some of my favorite places, like, I, I love, I generally just love being in Europe, touring Europe. Um, I find it always more interesting, both culturally, the architecture, just kind of the energy. Um, it's maybe still feels mysterious to me because I'm not there on a regular basis. So yeah, I had a great run in Barcelona. Um, there's beaches there. Um, I had a great run. Actually, this this time I had a great run in London that was kind of stuck out because, um, you know, London's a really busy city and the traffic moves in an opposite direction. Uh, <laughs> but I ended up, you know, running is a great way for me to explore a place. And through running, I can discover like, oh, there's a coffee shop over there I should hit later. Or, oh, wow, that, that, they have a sign over there. They've got some sort of plant-based restaurant that I should check out. Or, oh, whoa, I had no idea that museum was right there. Or I luck into like rivers or lakes or a path or a trail that, you know, is totally cool to go explore. And it's an unknown thing. So it's like, of course my imagination is going to go in there and run and do that. And running's a place where, you know, for me, it's like, that's how I get a lot of the questions answered in my day to day kind of life. Like I might, I might be out there having a conversation with myself and kind of subtly figure out a, a, a few things I want to do to try to remedy that situation or like that would, maybe I should try this or this would be a good idea. But you know, in, in this particular run in London, it was kind of funny cause like I'm going down this road and it's concrete you know, and I'm like, okay, I've got to look out for this traffic. And then I suddenly find myself, there was a, uh, there was a bike event going on this day, like bicycles and bicycle races. And they had the whole streets closed off. And I'm the one guy running in this whole <laughs> group of people, kids, moms, dads, bicyclists, you know, distance, you know, it's like everything. And I'm the guy running. But what was great about it was everything was closed off. I no longer had to worry about cars or looking where to go. So I just followed this whole group of bicyclists for a while. And that was that was a fun 
you know, just like random experience, you know, similar thing, kind of like in Seattle, it wasn't like I ran into a bike group, but you know, like I follow Strava and Strava's telling me to take a right at this one location. And, and I'm looking, and it's like, you know, Seattle's one of these places where like a lot of city streets and hills. And I'm kind of like, why would I want to go that way? There's a, the, the sound keeps going this way. And there looks like a trail that's going to break off. So I just followed that trail, you know, and I, I have no, um, real plan in mind. And luckily for me, I don't have like a schedule. I'm kind of free for the day. So, you know, I ended up doing this trail, like another nine miles, you know, out and back. And it was just, it's just a way for me to explore because like I said, I mean, I'm not exploring by hitting the bar and, you know, seeing the people at night or trying to meet people in that way. I'm kind of reclusive or like alone time. I think that's one of the things that has always made me able to tour is that I like somewhat being alone. I, I want to ask you about some of the different artists that you've not, not specifically the artists, but the fact that you brought up things with different, let's say genres of music might function and operate differently on tour. Okay. And I'm curious creatively for you, how it is that you go across these genres. So for example, you mentioned corn. That's a harder style of music. I see, you know, I follow you on Instagram and you might on occasion post a video of you playing classical. Okay, we've mentioned Beyonce. You've worked with Jay-Z. You've worked with Demi Lovato and Lizzo and the Chainsmokers and I mean, and, you know, a number of others. I'm sure I don't even know all of them, right? I'm wondering about this love of music. If there is a particular genre that you do or don't, necessarily want to work in and how it is you cross those boundaries and say, yeah, I'll, I'll go on tour with you. I'll do something different this time. Well, I think the first answer to your question is I always say yes. So, you know, and then that other thing where that music, my passion for music is just like a through line through my life. And my, it's, that's what I knew I wanted to do at a really early age. Figuring out how to do that was a little bit more of a struggle, you know, and my initial start in music being piano and learning kind of to compose. I think I just wanted to have my own band and, you know, like I wanted that thing that I end up, what I do now is kind of different than having my own band. What I do now is put on hats for different artists and work with them and help take their music to the stage. Um, Isn't a lot of times that people have a reputation for, Hey, this is the area of music that is your thing. But you well, yeah, are getting picked sure. up and offered these contracts and opportunities to work with artists across such a range that how did you even get into that position where they're like, okay, I, I know you for corn, but you know what I do is pop or what I do is whatever style of music. And I, I know that you can handle that too and, and give me what I need. I think, you know, if you were to go through my musical selections in my, you know, record collection, if we can call it that <laughs> these days. Yeah, um, yeah. But like, you know, it's pretty eclectic. I, I uh, love all styles of music. I can learn how to do things. You know, it's not like I go into a project always knowing how to, how to make it work. I just get in there and I fall in love with, I find elements within the person's music that I really like, things that I can enjoy and... I think for me, the question, Zach, is that I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not, I'm a non-musician. So all of your talent is amazing and this love for it and your capability to cross these borders, so to speak. But why would those different artists 
be like, okay, I've never heard you do my kind of music before, but I want you on tour with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how do you prove to them, um, oh yeah, I can learn and I can do all the things that you're describing? Yeah, I, I, I can't really speak to why they would choose me per se, <laughs> you know, because that's, you know, it's like, I, I've been on both sides of it though. Like I have been in a situation or situations where like I'm, you know, I'm the guy who's like submitting my resume or having the meeting or auditioning hungry, trying to get the job. And I've also been the person who's like working with the artist, seeking the people to come be a part of the project. In my own case, I think, you know, a resume does speak volumes, of course. Right. Initially, you know, like I said, I mean, I was just really into creating. I was into having my own band. And for a long time, that's what I pursued. Eventually living in Los Angeles at this time, because I, I didn't I didn't always do my music in Los Angeles. You know, I've been in other bands and toured in vans, trailers, um, worked on my projects everywhere from like Denton, Texas, Austin, Texas, Kansas City, Missouri, ended up in Los Angeles eventually, you know, little bit of backstory born in los angeles or well born in california orange county southern california always had this kind of like naive fantasy with california eventually ended up out there with a writing partner trying again to pursue my own career as a you know trying to have my own project create my own music i ended up performing in los angeles and what i feel like happened was kind of like you know people saw what i was doing a lot of people are out there being sidemen, which is kind of what I am. You know, technically a sideman, technician somewhat. Um, I work with synthesizers, keyboard instruments, computers. What I was doing seemed to be kind of new, I guess. You know, work at the time, I mean, early 2000, this is after, you know, already even before that, like 10 years touring with, you know, small bands all over the United States um, doing our thing. But now it, being exposed just because of being in Los Angeles and the community there being exposed to other side men who could recommend me for a project or something. I found that it served my own purpose economically to be able to put on different hats. So, you know, like I might work for a pop artist or I might work for um, a hip hop artist or I might work for a metal band, things like that. But I mean, what you find, I think, you know, like it's funny, like prior to getting a job with Korn, I was working for an artist named Daniel Powder. And, you know, he has this song, Had a Bad Day. And some people might be familiar with that. Is, that, is it the, uh, I'm thinking of one. And it's, I'm not going to sing it for you. If you <laughs> it's in my, it's in my head. So I, I must be okay. I, I didn't yeah, necessarily know the artist know the behind song. it. I do. Okay. Um, yeah. But you know, like you'll, I find myself all like again, always saying yes. Like, hey, you know, I'd have a and and these might some some situations might be a phone call and a conversation you have with the artist. Hey, do you think you could do this? Would you be down? Is this something you're interested in? Yeah. You know, absolutely. Sure. Let's do this. I I can. I've heard. I've heard a few of the songs. You know, this, I'd, I'd like to be a part. Other things are situations where like, you know, you get called in, you're one of like, I don't know, 10 keyboard players from Los Angeles um, who's been, you know, they've seen your resume, they've seen the people you've worked with, they, you know, do you want to come in and do this audition? Um, 
So, you, you know, you could be auditioning for the management company. You could be auditioning for the artist. You could be auditioning for a couple of people in the band who are kind of doing the first initial rounds. I don't know. You know, and some of those situations are rough because, you know, you might really, really want that gig or you might be, you know, this artist is somebody I love and I just would love to work for them and you don't get it, you know. Can, can I ask who is an artist that you have really loved that then you did get to work with and then maybe who is an artist you would love to work with and you haven't had the chance yet? Huh. Well, I mean, I had a really fun audition with Beck and really wanted that audition because I love his music. I wanted that job. Didn't get it. Don't, you know, there's, there's other people. I mean, you know, and then, you know, some situations like I, I had, I had, they were looking for somebody to help out with Adam Lambert initially. Um, and I went down, it was kind of funny because I can't remember what they were looking for at the time. You know, it doesn't, I, I don't think they were specifically looking for a keyboard player, but they wanted to meet with me about some aspect of their um, music direction or something like that. And, you know, I actually went down the audition and played things, but what I played were um, at this time I had this kind of like, I don't know, electronic computer controller sort of thing with a keyboard maybe built into it or pads. And I just played like I, th I improvised or did some kind of like, it was almost more like I did a DJ set, but not, I'm not a DJ, you know, but the way that I used these um, pads and buttons and switches and with my music running in there, I played that. And I think they just liked my style of production, music production. So, um, and what, you know, so, and, and so I ended up, you know, kind of coming in to Adam Lambert to work as a music director for a while. What does it mean to be a music director in that kind of setting? I don't uh, think I know. That's a little bit ambiguous, but um, <laughs> yeah, you know. So it's not just me. Like, like, like it, I said, I wear <laughs> many hats. I could be the keyboard player. I might be the music director where I'm helping kind of facilitate this artist's music i'm helping rehearse a band i'm helping pick musicians um to fill out the band and spots um give I'm, feedback and notes and thoughts on yeah. how to shape what ultimately comes together yeah absolutely and so then, recording in the studio stage production all the there stuff might there might be some recording that happens to help embellish the live show you know things that are going to happen in the performance we're going to we're going to recut a few things or we're, we're going to create a new piano moment that will introduce this song things like that that are going to be part of the show well i was thinking too of, of recording in the studio in terms of albums and putting out music in that way which i assume you've also yeah. been part of a lot i, mean, I think music music director kind of comes down to like being the head coach of the basketball team <laughs> you know okay you're going to make sure everybody's there you're at practice <laughs> you're going to come up with the drills you're going to come up with the plays the routine how is this all going to happen you know that might be a music director role you know, creating the song, staying on top of that and making sure everybody has got a, a, a point of motivation. Okay. Um, you know, the other, other roles you might do, like sometimes I'm the playback operator or the playback engineer. So that means like, you know, these days there's a lot of music that can't be created live per se. There's sounds and elements of a show that the artist is really into. They've worked very hard on their album and, and they want those elements in the show and maybe the band is is a great aspect of the live show, but it doesn't flush out or sound correct, you know, to the artist who's been in the studio working day and night on certain elements. So um, I will put together 
you know, tracks that run simultaneously with the band. So, you know, I've been that guy too. I'm the operator of the playback rig. And that's kind of like um, a behind the scenes role of the band, you know, and somewhat is really necessary. There are pros and cons to that. It's cool to hear about it because honestly, I have wondered for so many years, how do you take what is created in a studio for an album and then put that out live? Because it seems like there are elements you can't possibly recreate live, but you're giving us insights into how that happens. So I never thought to ask you about that. I'm glad to hear it though. Yeah. I mean, you know, I joke a little bit about the fact that I'm doing the same thing I was doing when I was 13 years old, (laughs) but, but it is kind of true. You know, when I was, I was, I was lucky to grow up being exposed to instruments, having the ability to have instruments around my parents, you know, my dad was a, a Marine airline pilot. His passion early, I think, had been like gymnastics and flying. Um, so he had that creative aspect of himself there. My mom is a school teacher, but she also was really into doing art, fiber arts. And, um, you know, she, she wrote books. And she, you know, she's also just really interested in kids' education. They facilitated and saw my interest in music and, for better or worse, you know, let me pursue that. Um, so, you know, when I was really young, I got a synthesizer probably around 13 years old. Um, and what I would do is after I'd finished practicing piano, I would go in my room and I'd basically put on the radio, you know, and, 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 you know, the era I grew up, it was like alternative radio was coming around, you know, but who were the bands that you were really interested (laughs) in at that age? Oh, gosh, who was I really interested in? I mean, we're talking, um, let's I mean, say, you know, mid-late 80s. Yeah. I kind of learned, well, I, I would say probably for me, one of the big ones, and it might even be a faux pas for some people, but it was like Duran Duran was really big for me, particularly. Actually, we're talking earlier than I just said. Sorry. <laughs> because I realize you're the, you're around the ages of well, my brothers, yeah. and they both graduated in mid and late 80s. Yeah. So when you're, say, 13 and 14 and 15, you're coming up, it's right through the whole yeah. part well, of the it 80s. Was, it was kind of weird stuff. I mean, it was kind of like Duran Duran. It was that new romantic period of music for me. It was like new, you know, there was like new wave was kind of cool. Um, I got exposed through other people, maybe like to um, Depeche Mode and being a keyboard player, you know, I okay. was gravitating towards those things like aha and, okay. you know, um, <laughs> you know, like it's kind of funny, but you know, I wasn't as like, like some of my friends played guitar and clearly they were into um, probably louder metal stuff that I really didn't get exposed to until later. But, you know, I was basically putting on the alternative music and then learning the parts of the keyboard sounds that were in those songs and I would sit there on my synthesizer and work to, by ear, mimic what I heard um, the, the, the timbre or the tone of that melody sounded like. So I would kind of craft that. And then I would pick out that motif and I would learn it and teach myself how to play along with those songs on the radio, um, which is somewhat the same exact thing I do now. It's you incredible. Know, people send me a record and I have to kind of isolate the keyboard elements either I might get I might get the full tracks where I can kind of pick out special things these are all the keyboard tracks okay oh that's a piano that's an electric piano that's a synthesizer I'm gonna have to figure out how to make that 
Um, you know, and, and I basically start taking those things apart, kind of reverse engineering what's inside the song. That sounds like what somebody would describe as a natural, uh, or, or if you're religious and look at this view, God-given talent or gift. Is well, that a way that you look at it? Do you feel like, wow, this is my special thing, and I'm really fortunate that I was so young and found this, and I had the parents, as you already credited them, they supported it? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that my parents necessarily knew this was a career path, <laughs> and but, you know, it's like it kind of ended up being like that and you know i think i think two things i think i do have well i know that it's been a frustration to some of my early piano teachers that i had was using my ear i was playing by ear but i think it's a combination of things too i had and still have that ear which i encourage those kids or those people who have an ear I don't think it's necessarily bad to go and play by ear. What, why did they um, think it was bad? I think that's... Oh, well, because we, you're trying to teach a kid how to read music. You're trying to teach theory and, and share the concepts of music, which is also equally important. I mean, you spoke to the fact that I, you hear me playing classical music or see me playing classical music. You know, since COVID, what I've really done is gone back and try to practice music that I didn't get exposed to or didn't work on hard enough as an up-and-coming piano kid. You know, I had a teacher, Luana Stoutmeyer, um, who's still playing in Dallas. She's a live piano player. She plays in live music bands. She was my first piano teacher, and I got really lucky having her in particular as a piano teacher because at seven years old, my music exposure is super minimal, Um she brought me into music by teaching me things that I wanted to learn, which I remember a day after doing, you know, maybe this was within the first couple months of me learning piano, but, you know, I started with music theory workbooks and, you know, kind of some traditional piano exposure, learning how to use my fingers. And then one day she asked me, you know, is there a song you want to play? Is there something you, you know, what do you want to play? I mean, seven years old, I think you pretty much just have what's in your house. You know, what are you, what have you been, what have you, what have you been exposed to? Not um, much of a catalog in no, your mind. No, not at all. <laughs> and, you know, for better or worse, I guess it was Elvis Presley, which comes from my mom and my aunt. They're, they're, they're like 45 record collection that I kind of been listening to and maybe some Beatles. And I, I think I ended up learning like Love Me Tender or something like this. And, you know, my young kind of piano mind wanting to not have to practice or whatever, um, you know, I'm thinking, okay, she's going to have to go to the music store. My lesson's done. Next week, she'll pick up the music and bring it into class. My, my lesson's over. Yay. And all of a sudden, she gets out a piece of staff paper and starts writing these symbols and notating the chord changes and the piece and the melody. And then she's like, okay, well, let's play this. I'm like, oh, you know, right now the pressure is on. But the cool thing, she was showing me how to compose. And so that was the, that was the stuff that I started getting exposed to in my piano lessons. Whereas I've talked to other people and, you know, they had very strict piano teachers who were trying to teach them classical music. And I think at that age, I mean, that is a great, there's nothing against classical because I mean I have been going back for the last three years and like finding stuff that is just amazing. Um, trying to learn how to or or re 
acquaint myself with reading and looking at these rhythms and stuff. And it is fantastic stuff. But when you're seven or eight, it's hard music to understand or relate to. I'm and, one of those people. Yeah. I was I was forced to do piano lessons from a young age. Yeah. And forced. Yeah. It it was it was one of these things that I'm a good parent if I expose you to art and culture. Mm. Now here it is in the form of a piano and you're gonna play church music and you're gonna play classical music. And I wasn't exposed to popular music of any kind in the house. And I did not want to practice, like you said. I, I loathed it. In fact, um uh, I would lie about it. I was supposed to practice 30 minutes a day and I would lie at any time I could get away with it. Let's say when I was a little older and my parents might not be in the house or, you know, I mean, I grew up in a time like you did when I could go home at eight or nine or 10 years old and be alone and I'm supposed to get right on my lessons, right? Well, that made it possible for me to lie about it. And eventually, you know, one of my piano teachers who this was also all the strict things you're saying in terms of what you're learning and you have to learn to read the, the music and those things. And she finally just told my parents, you're wasting your money. He's showing up to lessons yeah. every week, being nowhere further down the line than he was the week before and the week before and so on. And what I always thought I was missing from being a, a quote, real musician was the ability to play by ear. I couldn't possibly get into a group and jam. I can't hear what you're doing and then jump in with whatever instrument I have and be able to make music. And I've been so jealous of that and, and curious because I have no clue how you as a musician do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because, you know, I think, you know, there's, there is a little bit of the idea of maybe the grass is greener on the other side, even for me, you know, like <laughs> I, I have had some really, from, from talking to people, it sounds, I mean, I know I've had great experiences. I've enjoyed my time in music. It is not without frustration sometimes, you know, it is not without like self doubt. It is not without some you know, moments of feeling depressed, like, and that could be everything from like, Oh, I didn't get that job to, you know, maybe I should have been a doctor, you know, maybe I should have stayed in school. It's not necessarily been like this golden, easy road, you know, but it's, it has been my passion through life. And I think, you know, I spend time re-educating myself. You know, I spend time trying to like, you know, uh, what I, well, maybe don't know, but I mean, what I have done, like when I came out to Buena Vista, I left all of my, let's just call them electronic instruments back in Los Angeles. And all I had was a piano and, you know, like looking in the piano bench, I found some old books and like, okay, um, I'm going to sit down and, hone my piano skills I, I can't rely on wild crazy synthesizer sounds right now i need to you know what what can i do in this time when we're not doing anything well i guess i can just study piano and get these old books out so that's really like how have i been re-educating myself lately it's been through that i started teaching piano during covid and that's been a really cool initially that was just like a connection to music you know, I couldn't tour, so I'll start teaching, I guess. I'd never done it before, and I found sharing my passion about music with students um, a great way to connect with music and even talk about music. You know, I do have students where I think I think practice is a struggle for, for kids, 
um, for anyone. It's even sometimes for me, you know, I'll be sitting practicing and of course get distracted or, you know, and in my adult life, what I find is I, I love practice now and I don't have enough time for it. It's the opposite, you know, like I could just sit at a piano and practice over and over and for a long time. I think, you know, when you're learning music, I, I think you can do it at any age. I think it's a really great way to just kind of get in tune with yourself. I think it's a great way to, for, for kids, it's a great way to learn things like, it, I mean, it is math. It is uh, somewhat science learning about your, you know, you learn hand positions, how to use your fingers and things like this. I don't know if they all necessarily want to become musicians, you know, and yes, I think some of them probably do it because their parents want them to, you know, we still see it culturally as being a good thing. I mean, it is, it is a good thing to be exposed to. It's not always easy, you know, to motivate them. You know, I think the teacher you referred to is a wonderful example of someone who's listening to what it is you needed and wanted and how to engage you further in it. Yeah. Well, I think she was kind of like, I mean, she is my inspiration for how I teach, you know, later in my own education, I had those strict classical teachers and it was harder for me to connect with that teacher. Um, it was, uh, it, you know, and even, you know, I, I knew I was aware that I wasn't as good as that guy at classical music over there. I mean, I, you know, when I went to high school, I went to performing arts high school and, you know, some of the kids that you go with are prodigies. You know, I was just this kid who was like, I was interested in music, but we're all different. You know, that guy is a classical pianist prodigy. I'm like interested in composing. Um, I'm struggling with learning classical piano, but I like writing what I hear in my head. Um, so my, my forte was kind of composition and, um, you know, writing original pieces um, and working with synthesizers, you know, which is kind of probably what led me into the, the, the groups of people that I play with. You know, is that what you started with in your arts magnet school as a high schooler with synthesizers and, and well, getting into the electric I mean, I, and electronic I auditioned stuff. as a piano player. They didn't have a synthesizer department, but you know, the two pieces that I auditioned with, um, one was foreigners. I want to know what love is. And the other piece was a self, um, written composition, uh, that I had written sometime in middle school, probably for like a local town, you know, like the, the Carrollton, Texas school district, you know, music competition, whatever, whatever that okay. was where I grew up. And, um, that was a very different type of audition, non-traditional to what some of the other people were auditioning for. And again, I don't know why I, 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 you know, you had to audition to get into the school and I did get in and I felt good about my audition right away, but probably what would be a more traditional piano audition would be, you know, Bach, Beethoven, uh, you know, showing off your classical piano skills, because I think that's kind of the more traditional way that people teach and get exposed. I'm non-traditional. I like that, you know, <laughs> and, I, but, I, but, but, you know, I, like, but being exposed to that stuff is not bad. No, I, I agree with that. And I think there's a good foundation and basis and just historically, right. That those are the foundations. It's like learning in anything. If we learn kind of where, I mean, for lack of a better word, where rules or again, those foundational elements come from, but being held to that versus you were kind of freed up a little bit from that. 
You know, I've wanted to ask you about that school experience because one, that, you know, I did not have such an option to go to an arts school. And I'm curious about what that kind of experience is in general, but also the fact that there are a number of notable uh, artists who have come from that school. And Erica Badu's name stands out. She's the same age as you. So naturally, I wonder if you were classmates, if you ever worked together <laughs> or knew each other in that experience. Uh, we were in English class together. You know, um, I can't exactly remember what her, um, you know, like focus was. Cause so at the arts magnet, this is a performing arts high school in Dallas and it has created really it, some, some fantastic musicians have come out of there. Roy Hargrove is a jazz trumpet player. A few years before him, Edie Burkell, who's, you know, the singer from Edie Burkell and the new Bohemians. You have, as you spoke to Erica Badu, there's also Nora Jones. She was younger than me, but she came out of there. I mean, those are the people in music that I'm aware of. The school focuses on four. You have music, dance, theater, and visual art. So people come to that school to study those four um, specific areas of the arts. You also have... You know, you do, it, it is a high school. You do have like four hours of academics a day plus, and then you have your three oh, that's, hours. That's boring, man. <laughs> well, that's part of a school. <laughs> and then you have your three, um, you have three classes a day in your focus. That's my, so cool. Mine was music. And yes, I, so like, you know, my typical morning as a freshman started with my music classes. So I'd have like, I'd go in eight o'clock. Well, school actually started at 9.15. So I I rode the bus down from my suburb outside of Dallas. I rode the city bus, the DART, and I'd come down on the bus and I'd walk to school and the school was downtown Dallas. Um, and it's a magnet school. The purpose of a magnet is to expose people from all over the area to each other, kids. It's not a typical high school where football is what's big or the sports or what's kind of the folk, you know. Were those teams even there? Like, did those even exist? No, those don't exist okay. at the arts school what what kind of you know i you know kind of the musicians or the football team and the dancers are like the cheerleader aspect of high school if you will but you know my typical morning would be like i'd go in and i have my piano ensemble class and there would be a lit you know we might listen to music um we would then have our music and we would learn to play as a group you know so it wasn't solo piano you're actually doing you know you're working with another pianist and it's kind of like college you know, because you probably most people don't get that experience until they go off to college and get their focus is like, okay, I'm going to be a music major or I'm going to be a political science major. So at those times, that's like when you go into those focuses. But this high school is kind of you know based off of probably a college curriculum, and we're going to design it. So you know, it, and of course, being a kid of the '80s, everybody was kind of it was like fame. You remember that? Joke? Yep. So <laughs> fame was kind of like the model of what that could be like in your imagination. But, you know, so I would have a piano ensemble class. I might have a music theory class. And then I might have, you know, initially as a freshman, they also had this class where you were kind of like exposed a little bit to all of the other things. So you knew what was happening in dance. You knew what was happening in visual art. You knew what was happening in theater. Um, and then as you go through the year, you know, and, you know, and then also, of course, I had like English, math, science, had to learn a language, you know, those the typical kind of things that you would do in a high school. But as you become an upperclassman, you get involved in kind of like some of the bands. So the jazz combo, the 
orchestra or for me is like jazz combo lab band which is also another big band jazz ensemble and the midi lab which was kind of um i i feel like i was a catalyst to that actually being something that came into my school because again it was more traditional until people like me kind of like non-traditional keyboard still a keyboard player but not necessarily with a focus in classical music um my you know so like they they got grants and they brought in synthesizers and computers and started trying to teach kids this new technology that was kind of coming around you know like you're thinking about like i have a couple of things in my life that i happen to be right on the cusp of one was snowboarding you know and in texas no not snowboarding in texas just the fact that it was coming about at the same time that i was coming to the mountains you know and, gotcha okay you know, like i was growing snowboarding and i grew up together M- midi which is musical instrument digital interface computers and this kind of technology also came around like in the 80s where you could you know synthesizers computers their bond to each other of like being able to like, make music on a computer i grew up with that you know like that was new in the 80s um prior to that you know like i talk with a lot of my students these days and like if you think about what was available as a keyboard in a band prior to like 1970 it was like maybe a b3 organ a Rhodes piano um you know electric pianos clavinets string kind of instruments all mechanical it was in the late 60s that the first synthesizers well not even it was much earlier than that but compact electronic instruments that were making sounds that no one had ever heard they weren't bells being rung inside of a you know a hammer to a string or something like this it was like these were electronics that were being you know manipulated in ways to make tones that then could be created and to make sounds no one had really ever heard before and these days you know you can make anything you know ocean sounds you know big synthesizer pads whatever but that was like something that was growing up with me those those kinds of creations were happening in the 70s and you know and when i began being a teenager some of this stuff was just first coming out to work together and i was kind of like being exposed to it just by luck (laughs) I i wonder if you had lived in a different time period would you have had the same passion and that sort of thing and made a career and a life of this Or is it a matter of you and this technology and this time period landing together and that that was the magic, that connection could be made for you to then develop this interest in a non-traditional way, working with electronics and computers? You know what I'm saying? Like, is there sort of a faded thing there? Well, yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, I guess that's like, you know, chicken or the egg. I, I don't really know. I think, you know, like for me, my earliest recollection is sitting down in the basement of my grandmother's home working on a piano and just kind of the magic of hearing what it could do was interesting to me. I would sit down there in the dark and kind of like, again, thought I was composing a song. So maybe, maybe I would have gone ahead and been a composer in, maybe, you yeah. know, in another era. I just got lucky that these things were also happening at the same time. And I found them interesting you became yeah. a musician of your time and, and yeah. might well have been of any time. Yeah, perhaps. I don't know. I want to go back to something that you were saying a while ago in this conversation about, you know, you're you're kind of looking for that next gig sometimes. You know, you find yourself coming off tour and then you come to spring and you're like, okay, where am I going to go with this now? 
But you had, I think, an 11 year stretch with corn. Is that right? Well, it was like maybe right at a little over 10 years or something like that. Okay. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a long run. Were you looking or involved in any other sorts of touring or bands at the time? Or were you considered, hey, I'm in this band? Everybody knows that when it's time to make music, we're the same group getting back together. You know, like you think of the Beatles, they weren't looking for a new drummer every time that, you know, they're like, hey, Ringo, come on, it's time. Yeah. Well, you know, that situation evolved and became something I kind of somewhat could always rely on being there. Prior to that, I think what I was more used to, again, when I started working with some of these what I guess would we just call them bigger names or artists um, was probably around 2000 and the whole music industry was changing at this time. Everybody was really scared of what was going to happen to record companies and nobody needed somewhat, you know, like you had the internet, you had YouTube CDs and digital music were competing. Things like Napster yeah. was at around that All of time. That. So All of that was sort of starting around okay. 2000, around 2000, 2001. Okay. And like, so the way I remember it was like, you know, prior to that, album sales were really big, and and now people were kind of freaking out. Music could be listened to illegally online, yeah, and things like that. I, I suppose, mean, it- yeah, I suppose. Um, I think what was kind of starting to happen was that where tours once upon a time had been really long and budgets were big, now budgets were smaller and tours were shorter. So, a typical album cycle during when when I was really beginning to work with people was probably like eight months. So I would usually work with somebody, become really connected with them, have a great time on the tour, become kind of close. Then as the, then as the tour starts to wrap up, you know, you get all these kind of, it's kind of emotional a little bit like, Oh wow, man, everything's over. This is done. So what am I going to do next? You know, it wasn't like I was going to be able to stay with that artist because they were going to take some time off. They were figuring out whatever they were going to do. And they're kind of like in a different position than me. I mean, I'm the side man who's on a, on a salary. They're the artist who has the record company and they're making the money so they can afford to take time off somewhat. They have royalties and things coming in. There's other things going on in their life and maybe they're going to focus on those for a while. And then eventually they'll make another record, but they're not like in a hurry. And I might be like, okay, I've got to pay bills next month. So I'm looking for the next job. So that was kind of like what I was used to. Working for Corn ended up being, I went into that. It was all a big surprise in some ways. I went into that, was really, I mean, that when you spoke of like what gig did I get that I really wanted, I mean, I got that gig. I was a little shocked, but I was excited. You know, I had worked with Everlast from House of Pain for a while. That was a gig I really loved. You know, and naively when that gig wrapped up, I think I thought like, well, now I've got this big, real big, you know, big name on my resume. I'm going to pick and choose who I work with. (laughs) And, you know, that was a pretty naive thought because that didn't happen. It it wasn't exactly like that, you know, and and I remember spending a lot of time not working and kind of being like, wow, what, you know, things were sort of destitute. And that's when I had a phone conversation with Daniel powder and, and started working with him. And, and he was a really new artist. He had a great record producer who I liked Mitchell Froome, some, some fantastic people had been involved in his record. And so, you know, when we got exposed to each other, it was like, yeah, I'd like to do that. But again, it was also like, 
you know, we'd go and do two, we'd go and do two weeks or a month or something. And then it might be six weeks till we had work again, or I had work again. I was working with him for a, a while touring Europe, you know, opening shows in Canada for Brian Adams. You know, we were, we were doing cool stuff, but for me, I was like, you know, still just was like not enough. I needed more economically. And I remember thinking in my own mind, like, man, I really need to be, I need to find a gig with like a cool LA band. And I, I believe that I flew home from the end of a Daniel powder tour. And when I landed in LA, I had a message on my phone from someone at man, a corns management. Um, and they left a message for me and just wanted to know if I was interested in coming over to an audition for corn. And I wasn't like, I actually wasn't aware of their music very much, you know, outside of, you know, it's kind of a funny recollection and I don't know if they know this, but it's like, I heard one of their songs when I lived in Austin still. And I can remember uh, the music came on and I listened for maybe about 30 seconds and then made like a right turn and turned the radio off and, you know, and I had a thought to myself, you know, like, ah, eh, you know, I mean, I had a more direct thought to myself, probably won't say, but it was kind of like, oh, you know, maybe that was okay. Huh, not that great. And, you know, anyway, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, you know, like, you know, for a little bit of my life, I think I was kind of like a bit of a muso, somewhat of a snobbish kind of like studied musician who, you know, and, and I didn't think too much of the, of them or that era of music and stuff like that. I was kind of like maybe you know, looking for something else. But, you know, here I was and here was an audition for this band. And yeah, I mean, I was in the mode of always saying yes and taking any opportunity that came my way. And I remember getting ready for that audition and like trying to listen to their songs and I couldn't figure out what I was going to play. I heard all this guitar and, you know, stuff is kind of cool, but I don't know where I fit in with this. And, um, I remember kind of moving across the room. I had to, I don't know. I, I stood up and left my keyboard for a second and like walked across the room and the music just kind of kept playing in this particular album that I was listening to. All of a sudden there was this stuff happening between the songs, kind of like a segue from one song to the next. And the stuff in that segue piqued my interest. And I went back and re like rewound that for a little bit and like, what is, Ooh, wow. There's some really haunting, weird elements of something i think that's what that's that's what piqued my interest and i gravitated to those little interludes and those moments and i figured out a way to bring that into the song and um i think that was my magic because when i went into the audition even up to the minute that i went into the audition i was kind of like what am i doing here i don't know you know i'm gonna end up with tattoos all over my body <laughs> um you know uh, blah 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 and then you know <laughs> I, I, and I'm in this parking lot kind of waiting to go into this audition room and, you know, and, um, this guy comes out who's kind of like at that time, he was kind of like my keyboard nemesis. We had been on, on auditions together and like, he'd, he'd always walk away with the audition and like, Oh, so I'm like, I'm going in. Um, and I go in and I set up and they asked some questions. Actually, Jonathan was there. A couple a guy there was, you know, videotaping. This was sort of typical, you know, like a lot of times there's a video camera there kind of like, because, you know, for better or worse, they want to have your look. They want to, you know, what do you look like? What do you sound like? You know, 
they're kind of going sometimes for image as much as music. You Get know? a feel for you and the overall package, not just a recording of music that you can play. Yeah. And so, you know, and then they kind of, they ask me some questions. I have my computer, my programming that I've done in the computer. I set up and I, you know, play along. I play my weird stuff within their song. Um, I kind of, I saw Jonathan in passing in the hall. I said, hey, what's up? Uh, and I left. And that's kind of like how an audition goes. You're done. Pack it up, out the door. 30 minutes, maybe an hour. Done. Next guy. Um, I got home. And about 30 minutes after I left the audition, I actually got a phone call from them and they wanted to offer me the job. So it happened pretty quick and overnight. And then I was like, okay, wow, that's pretty cool. And, I, and, and yes, you're excited because you have succeeded. But I still had like, still needed to like learn what is corn and all of that. And, you know, you go, I went to a lot of rehearsals for me. What was really great. They wanted me to just be me. I got to be and do whatever it is that I do underneath corn. So that was really cool. Cause there've been other experiences that you've, I've had where they hire you, but they're not so much interested in your character. They want you to reproduce exactly what's on the album, you know, and they're not interested in you and your sound as a musician. They have thoroughly written out the part and they are looking for that. And, you know, they don't want anything else but that. Fit into the mechanics. Yes. But it sounds like them with corn. And I don't know how long they existed before you became a, part well, of yeah, them. Yeah, quite a while. I mean, I started playing with them in 2006. So it was after their, you know, it was kind of after their MTV stardom and, you know, big heyday of, you know, whatever was going on with MTV. I forget what the show was, but, you know, they were a big okay. part of this. You know, they, they had their video played all the time. I mean, they were, they had been huge. And I was coming in, um, after like a, one of their guitar players had left the band and you know they were looking to do something kind of new that's got to be a tough gig when you walk in then and and they have these other changes going on too and they're saying okay our sound we're open to it changing a little bit here with bringing in who you yeah, are everybody there was really cool with just letting me be me you know i that's one of the things that was really great about playing with them is that I got to be me the whole time. <laughs> you know, I did me in that band the whole 10 years I was there and they were very encouraging about that, you know, and, and what was surprising is that, you know, I remember setting up and getting ready for their first show that I was doing with them. And I just really connected with what was happening I was having so much fun and, you know, like discovering corn, you know, late bloomer to this band. But all of a sudden, like, man, these songs are fun. You know, this stuff is really enjoyable. It was all, it was all pleasure. You know, as far as I was concerned, it was really fun, enjoyable. It was a great experience and it continued. And I didn't know that that was going to happen initially. You know, it was kind of like somewhere through the middle or the, towards the end of the tour when things are kind of starting to wrap up and I'm thinking, okay, well, that's been a great year. We're going to go back to like hunting for the next gig. You know, they actually asked me to come and be involved in their album. And so that led to, you know, more stuff. And I stayed with them for quite a while. You know, it was really, a, it was a great, great thing. And that doesn't happen very often, you know, as a sideman connecting with the band and really being brought in and being kind of like allowed to be with this group 
for a, tra- a trajectory of a decade. You know, that doesn't always happen. Yes, there are positions that things like that happen. I mean, the keyboard player, the Rolling Stones, he's been their piano player for a long time. But those jobs aren't, it's not like there's thousands of those jobs available. There's like 10, you know, and the rest of the time, there's a lot of different things that are happening in music. It's not always a band. You know, there's a lot, of, there's a lot more singers, I think, sometimes than there's a band. And, and you know, singers, their bands sort of evolve, come and go. There might be a certain band for a while, and then they are interested in sort of changing it up again. You know, so it's not as typical to just land a gig with a band and stay there for a long time. So that was, that was really good, and that was fun. It was great. Well, it brings me to the inevitable question then. That why end that? Why? What changed? What did you end up ultimately choosing to walk away from that after a decade? Um, no, not necessarily. You know, it happened for reasons that were somewhat out of my control, non-musical reasons. And you know, I I do think that for me myself personally, yes, I was growing in in different ways, and you know, like wanted to maybe deep maybe maybe subtly there were you know things i wanted to explore outside of just doing that but no i will i'll say it didn't necessarily end on my terms but i don't think it ended on their terms either you know it was like neither one of us we we did separate from each other it was it was because of things that were not related to music and i feel like you know it might not have ended it was just kind of out of both of our control, you know? So okay. I'll just say that, you know, that was basically, you know, that's kind of like all I would really like to say about it. Sure. You know, I, I still love those guys. Um, I speak to Jonathan and Ray, you know, and Fieldy periodically. They're a big part of my life. You know, 10 years is a, is a chunk, you know? So like, they're still important to me and I like the music they make and, you know, I miss being there, but you know, we've got different things going on in each other's lives and, and still great opportunities have come my way and it's been good to have had them in, you know, my experience. Absolutely. And you know, in those several years that you have had all these great opportunities, I want to go back again here to the idea that you moved from Los Angeles to this rural slice of Colorado around the time of the pandemic, all these things are going on. I want to touch on something that is an extraordinary piece of your story because during the pandemic, tours shut down, those opportunities that you've spent a career building and being able to work with, no longer able to do it for a while. You don't know how long you're not going to be able to do it. And you went and you got a job here in town (laughs) at a small local restaurant as a manager. And I want to add this one note before I ask you. What's funny to me is the job ad that you responded to <laughs> started off creatively, right? Asking, are you a rock star? Yeah. You know, like thinking, hey, we want cool, creative people who do amazing things to come work for us. But in your head, you had to be thinking, well, actually, <laughs> right? Yeah. So tell me about leading to that job. I mean, we don't have to go deep into it, but I just think you didn't have any experience in that industry, right? You'd spent your whole life with music and here you are suddenly without that piece, without all your electronics that are in storage in LA, you know, you're going through this whole thing that you've already described and you're jumping into the restaurant industry of all things during the pandemic, because I mean, we all had our own 
version of suffering during that time. Sure. But yeah. restaurants as an industry, especially, my goodness. Well, it, it somewhat was one of the things that stayed open, I suppose. Um, you know, at least here in BV. With challenges, right? With extra rules, with all oh, yeah. the things, right? It wasn't wasn't easy for sure. No, not... Well, you know, and those things were at a, at a point when I actually started working at Simple Eatery. <laughs> Simple Eatery is what we're talking about. Um, those things were already like happening those protocols the covid protocols and restaurant that was already in play so you know i i came into that job learning what do i need to do to comply with these uh covid restrictions in that sense it wasn't a change for you yeah. but it was a change to enter that it industry at all right change in industry to a certain extent i think some of what i do in the music world is service industry you know somewhat to the service of the song or the service of the artist and yeah, it just kind of was funny. You know, I had been looking for stuff to do remotely, had some interviews. And like I said, I ended up in Buena Vista not planning. You know, it's like I came out, I, I think I actually, when I came to Buena Vista, it was the end of the summer of 2020. When I came, my daughter had been here kind of spending the summer with kids her age and playing and in that, in that idea of having a, what do they call it? I mean, you, you know, it was cool to play outside with a core group of people who knew each other. That was kind of the idea during COVID. And so BV offered that LA. We didn't really have that. Everybody was, everybody lives in their own houses and there's busy streets. It was much more neighborhood influenced here. So my daughter had come and in LA, they were going to return to zoom classes and she was entering first grade. We just finished kindergarten with zoom and that was a wreck. Um, <laughs> and you know, so, so the idea of being in-person learning in class was appealing. So we came out, and I say we, it was like my, my six-month-old son, my wife at the time, and myself, and we came out for like a two-week, let's just get away from California. There, was, there seemed to be like a little bit of a lull, too, at the end of that summer in the pandemic. And, you know, we got out for the first time, had a little bit of a vacation, and I came with like five days of clothes and then ended up staying, you know. But, yeah. While I was here on that trip, I had a, you know, I was looking for something to do because I'm, I'm not making money, you know, you're on unemployment and waiting what's going to happen. So I was kind of getting to a place where I was looking for something to Are do. Are you saying you're actually on unemployment? Like, I mean, in the formal yeah. sense with state or whatever oh, yeah. the process. Yeah. Once the, well, once the tours ended, you know, all that unemployment started. Luckily, I had enough work history. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting unemployment money. and Which I think is an incredible thing to point out because- I mean, we've intentionally, I have intentionally made sure that people understand the caliber we're talking about with your work and what this career history is and all these big names that you are associated with and, and you're of their caliber in this music and you're looking for this job at a restaurant and okay, well, now you're on unemployment. Like, so this is part of the experience. Yeah. I mean, this is real life. It's not like I'm independently wealthy from all of these opportunities or something like that. I mean, it's still like, you know. It's easy for us to jump to those conclusions. So I think I, it's cool to be yeah. able to share that well, and let people know more of the reality another, from your view. Something I always say about myself is because people kind of like might think I'm a rock star. I'm not a rock star. I hang out with rock stars. Um, <laughs> okay. And, and um, you know, like. Is the difference because you might walk down the street and people not know that you are? There's versus... a lot of musicians in LA, you know, and many of us are walking the streets, you know, some are more successful than others. That comes from luck. Everybody who's creatively passionate knows about, 
you know, spending long hours at their craft and maybe not being able to monetize it. But, you know, when I started working for other artists, I was finally able to like, Oh, earn salaries and earn income that, you know, allowed me to comfortably rent and have, you know, somewhat real life, you know, or at least like the life where I'm not sleeping on a couch or kind of worried. I mean, I did plenty of that and got to a place where I had a a kind of a real professional career, but you know, when the money stops, the money stops, you know, and then you're like, like everyone else, you know, it's like the job is over. Now we got to create another income. This is what I make and this is my rate and this is my range. But, you know, I am trying to keep that going, you know, and so that's the, that's the professional music job. You know, there's, there's plenty of people who do it out of passion and, you know, play the open mics and play the clubs and are still looking to get to that next thing. And that's really noble um and you know you're pursuing your art so hopefully you hopefully you get that thing where preparation um and luck intersect and that allows the dreams to be be realized but you know during covid we're all like in a in a in a pause and so you know i'm trying to figure out what can i do um i met with Ryan McFadden, the owner of Simple Eatery. And, you know, yeah, I have no musical experience, but hey, I've worked with all these great people and I can make things happen and I could do this. And I started working as a server, you know, um, just like running drinks and running food and making lemonade, <laughs> you know. And it was hard, you know, because like it was like the end of the summer, the, the town is busy. You know, everyone's leaving the major cities to come out to these small, places where they feel safe and can kind of do things and restaurants are still open you know that was the thing that was so different than like la and la like bars were up i mean like physical bars physical like bars were closed you down. can't break into the building yeah. you can't get in the restaurants are closed stuff is shut down you know you can barely go to a grocery store without waiting in line um you know to get into the grocery store you know they're letting so many people in at a time all of that stuff really different whereas here in bv essentially stuff was still kind of operating and running and the restaurants were packed you know they were busy and so like i started working there at the end of the summer like september 2020 and like whoa i i hadn't ever worked that hard yes i had worked long hours and late and tired and really stressful got to get this done we have a deadline it's tomorrow morning you know and trying to get it done the restaurant was physical intensity on my feet non-stop you know when you're on a tour um yeah we've got a deadline we get stuff done but i can sit on this road case and have a random conversation with you for you know 30 or 40 minutes because everybody's taking their time getting to the stage to do this sound check or whatever it is so you know like we might be busy and i might be locked out and far away from my family but i'm it's casual whereas like the restaurant i you know you're going okay prep go you know get it ready everybody's coming in all of a sudden people are starting to trickle in and it's go so yeah that was pretty enlightening and I was there. I never knew. I mean, I in my back of my mind, I thought like I'd like to tour again. But you know, I was going through a divorce, two kids. I didn't know if I would really be able. To, you know, how am I going to connect that again? 
And actually in the divorce, I wasn't even allowed to go on tour or do anything during the process. Cause you know, you're, you're waiting to find out what's going to happen. And you know, the, my first 2020, all that year, nothing going on anyway. No one's touring. I think in 21 people were trying to tour, but everybody would get COVID. As soon as they start touring, people get COVID and they'd have to postpone or cancel, you know, and you're talking about only being able to tour at that time in North America. Nobody was traveling to Europe. You know, these, these other countries are all still shut down. Everybody's shut down. So people were trying to get it going, but they couldn't really figure out how to do live events and mass crowds and things like that. So, um, and, and initially when I did get a few phone calls, you know, I was excited. Yeah. Ooh, that sounds interesting. I'd love to do that. And then uh, I think initially one of the things that accidentally happened is I got, a, I got a, uh, I got someone interested in, you know, am I available? Could I come do this work, this tour? And I think I initially kind of like, I asked my attorney about it in an email and, you know, she was like, I don't think that's a really good idea right now, Zach, you know? And then I, you know, wrote another email responding, I thought to the person and the email went through to my attorney and she was like, I thought we just talked about this, (laughs) you know? Um, So my, my initial ability, you know, saying no was really hard and things were coming in that I wanted to have. I wanted to do getting, you know, getting used to saying no got a little easier um, you know, this last tour, I was able to do it cause it happened after my divorce was over and it was kind of time. It was a person who I had worked with in the past and I, I felt like I, you know, I, I need to say yes. Otherwise it'll be the next person, you know I mean? That's the thing too. It's like, there's always another hungry musician waiting behind, you know, to do it for less. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You yeah. Know, too. It's very competitive. Um, so I think in all the creative fields, it's that way, right? It's like that there's that pressure to say yes, because you know, they'll go find somebody and cheaper. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, and, and then you'll be like, you know, back to square one. Yeah. So, but you know, working in the restaurant was insightful. I met a lot of great people in town and, and that was the first thing I did. And yes, it was a totally different kind of career path. And some t- to a certain extent, I'm amazed at the people who do that, like, in every place across the world, that's what they do. They work in that restaurant and they do that forever. Whether they own the restaurant, created the concept, wrote the menu, they're passionate about it. I mean, it's it is a form of art. You know, making making food that is a creative passion. Those people somewhat have, but yeah, it was challenging. Do you feel like people in in your getting to meet whoever all you met in the community? Do you feel like they had a sense of who you are in terms of this life change that brought you to this restaurant, the fact that you are a musician and you have done all these things and had all these experiences. Do you feel like people in town or in the community have a sense of that about you or are you just Zach from simple eatery? (laughs) Uh, I am pretty or teaching discreet about my musical career. I would say like, you know, it's not like, (laughs) and and we're talking about all of this. Yeah, exactly. This is probably, (laughs) this is a big exposure to it. No, I mean, you know, initially, you know, I'm just Zach you know, I'm just getting to know people and, you know, I'm not coming in. I'm not better than you because I've done this. In fact, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, in the restaurant at all. So, you know, I'm kind of learning. I do think that I have a um, desire to do good work 
You know, I think that's also part of my my musical path is I've always been my my goal is to be succeed to succeed and to um to be a leader and to have some sort of um success with everything that I take on. So my goal you know, well my my interest in the restaurant was, you know, out of necessity, but my desire was to do a good job and to be, to look, you know, I just see things, you know, like I see stuff that's needs to be done and I do it. And so I think, you know, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm humble about my things. Yes. People discovered what I was doing. And as you get to know people, you converse a little more and things leak out and you talk about a situation. This is going to be a rupture. Like not just a leak, this, our conversation here, you know, when we share it with the community, there's, <laughs> there's going to be more people who know. Okay. So I appreciate your saying yes yeah. to talking with me, I especially mean, under these humble circumstances, because I, I have perceived this humility. And I think anybody listening to this conversation, hears the humility. And I mean, you could, somebody could have guessed that there would be a, an ego hit of some kind when you find yourself off the road, no longer touring after 30 years of doing it. And I'm working at the restaurant, which is hard work, very different than I'm used to. And, and we're here having this conversation in, in such, um, you know, a personable way. Yeah. Well, you know, um, again, I mean, I, I like being in BV. Um, I'm, I'm trying to be a dad at this stage in my life and trying to figure out how to be a good dad, a successful dad. It, That's it, an ongoing effort, isn't it? Yeah, daily. And and it does, um, you know, my, my, my creative passions and being a dad sometimes are challenging to, you know, figure out how to navigate those two things. But I, I it's not like I have gone out and tried to like, you know, I don't perform here locally. I teach piano to kids. I, I create on my own in my humble little, you know, studio of stuff and somewhat live, I live my musical life outside of BV. You know, I share my passion for music with my students and I'm passionate about teaching them. That's a good connection. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I just don't feel like necessarily like shouting it, you know, like, Hey, you know, but, but even that, you know, I mean, when people do discover a little bit more about me, it is, you know, I, I will talk about it with them, but you know, it's, it's, um, it's just what I've, I've done all my life. You know, it's just like, this is what I do. And yeah, that is me. That's a part of me. You know, I also have these two kids and I'm, you know, taking my daughter to dance and you know um i work at simple eatery and and uh, do you still work there well you know i, I mean I, since coming back from tour i guess i think i'm in good standing there and at some point it's my plan to return you know i had a i had a um you know i think initially i thought i'm going to come back from tour and i'm just going to kick right into teaching lessons and working at the restaurant and when i returned i realized how much my kids needed me um, how much I just, how much my, my parents needed me. And I felt like in order to really be around for these people, I'm not going to, I'm just going to like 
just be here at the house. I'm going to take it real easy. I'm not going to make any commitments to anybody else other than my family. So I'm going to be here every day. I'm going to do all the school pickups. I'm going to get my daughter and my son where they need to be. It's going to be me. I'm not going to block out any time outside of, you know, when my kids are around or I'm not available or I'm not in the house. So no, I haven't done anything yet. I've been, you know, I practice when my kids are at school or at their mom's. I sometimes dabble and write, you know, I don't really have a goal every day right now. Um, other than just like trying to settle back into being the dad because they are dramatically different roles, you know, um, I'm sure <laughs> going I'm out sure. on tour meant I had my, it was just me. It's my time. Yes. I'm still getting a phone call from home, I mean, the way I kind of break it down, I guess, is kind of like, you know, that I, that concept of being in the now, it's like what I don't see, it is happening over there and it is going on and I am involved. It's not like it's, it's not like I'm completely leaving them out to their own. I, I get a phone call and there's a conversation and things are happening, but I'm also over here and I've got these responsibilities and this is kind of what are going, what's kind of going on. So they, they intertwine. I'm still involved in my family. There's, they're still reaching, but it's, they're, they're just in two different places. And now that I'm back, it's almost like being on tour is easier. You know, it's got its stuff and it's, it can be challenging and you know, yeah, you're living in a suitcase, et cetera. But you know, it's not like I'm living in a suitcase at the bus stop. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what I have done to try to alleviate a little bit, I guess is not make a commitment where I have to be at a job right after that either, you know, for now, for now, but, but coming back home from the tour and reintegrating into that day to day schedule. I mean, you know, I love my kids, but it is like, it is a, it, it is a, an effort to, you know, make sure that their life is looked after and they are the priority. That brings us full circle here, Zach, because I, I asked you about settling back in at the beginning, and we've covered so much incredible ground. I appreciate your time, but I feel like now that we've come back circle, I must have touched on enough that I should Great. just thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I, this has been pretty cool to talk with you, and I appreciate you um, having interest in talking with me. Absolutely. I've I've enjoyed this so much. It's been awesome. So Thank thanks. You. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to the We Are Chafee Looking Upstream podcast. If our conversation here today sparks curiosity for you, you can learn more in this episode's show notes at wearechafee.org. If you have comments or know someone in Chafee County, Colorado, who I should consider talking with on the podcast, you can email us at info at wearechafee.org. We invite you to rate and review the We Are Chafee Looking Upstream podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use with that functionality. We also invite you to tell others about the Looking Upstream podcast. Help us to keep growing community and connection through conversation. Once again, I'm Adam Williams, host, producer, and photographer. John Prey is engineer and producer. Thank you to Cahan 106.9 FM, our community radio partner in Salida, Colorado, to Heather Gorby for graphic and web design, to Andrea Carlstrom, director of Chafee County Public Health and Environment, and to Lisa Martin, community advocacy coordinator for the We Are Chafee Storytelling Initiative. 
The We Are Chafee Looking Upstream podcast is a collaboration with the Chafee County Department of Public Health and the Chafee Housing Authority, and it's supported by the Colorado Public Health and Environment Office of Health Disparities. You can learn more about the Looking Upstream podcast and related storytelling initiatives at wearechafee.org and on Instagram and Facebook at wearechafee. Lastly, until the next episode, as we say here at We Are Chafee, share stories, make change.